Amen. Thank you, worship team. Amen. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, if you will, go ahead and take your Bibles and let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, we're going to look at verses 25 through 32 as we talk about living out our new life in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through 32, living out our new life in Christ. Now, notice the context of where we are at in the book of Ephesians. Remember that last week we looked at Paul's teaching in verses 17 through 24 of how we are to put off the old self, be renewed in our mind, and then put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And then we pick up in verse 25, and in verses 25 and following, what we're going to see is Paul giving us different exhortations or even examples of how we are to put off the old, renew our mind, and put on the new. And so what we're going to look at this morning is four exhortations of how we can live out our new life in Christ. Now, this is going to be specific to not only the church at Ephesus, but specific to what they were dealing with and going through. But as we look through this passage, we're going to see that this has really specific application for us as well this morning. This is going to be an application-heavy sermon because the application that Paul gives is dead on and it's something that each and every one of us needs to hear. I also want you to know that these four exhortations or four examples are not the only areas that we might need to put something off that's a part of the old self, renew our mind when it comes to that, and put on something new that is more like Christ, more after the likeness of God. And so as we make our way through this text, I don't want you to think, okay, check one, check two, check three, and check four. I'm good. Nothing to see here. I want us to be searching our own hearts and our own minds asking ourselves the question or asking God the question, Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to put off? Is there anything that I need to get rid of? Is there any sin that I've yet to deal with, yet to confess, yet to bring before you that I need to get rid of in my life, that I need you to renew my mind about so that I can start walking worthy of my salvation? And so all of that is going to happen as we make our way through verses 25 through 32 this morning. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do like we do most every Sunday. We're going to read, we're going to pray, and then we're going to walk through the text together. So jump in with me in verse 25. Notice the first word, therefore, which points us back to what he's just said in verses 22, 23, and 24. And because of that, I want us to read starting in verse 22 so that we get the context of what Paul is doing in verses 25 and following. So jump with me into Ephesians chapter 4, starting this morning in verse 22. Paul says, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And, verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do 
do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk Come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for calling us into this place this morning, for giving us this opportunity to walk through this text together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would work in our lives, and Lord, that you would do a great work in us this morning. Lord, I I pray as I have asked everyone here to pray, Lord, search me. If there's anything, Lord, that's mentioned in this text or if there's anything outside of this text that I need to put off in my life, I pray that you would reveal that to me. Lord, that you would enable us to renew our mind through your word this morning, that we might think rightly, that we might think biblically this morning. And Lord, that we would then put on the new action that our new self who lives in Christ ought to walk in that manner. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in us and through us now. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Help us to live out our new life in Christ. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we sort of began to look at last week in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, I just want to remind you that God has already done a great work in your life if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have professed your faith in Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, then Paul says God has already put off the old man. He's already put on the new man created in the likeness of God. And what's happened in your life now is your mind is consistently being renewed as you are looking more and more like Jesus. You'll get there one day, but not this side of glory. Amen? But we are all being conformed to the image of His Son. One day we will all look like Jesus. But in this moment, we are in the process of going from the old man to the new man. We are transitioning, always looking more and more like Jesus in our lives. And so what Paul does then in verses 25 and following is he gives us these examples of what it looks like to put off that which was old to then renew our mind through the truth of God's word and then to live out the good that we ought to be living. And so these are exhortations or these are examples that we're going to see this morning. And so the first one we see in verse 25, notice, we're to put off falsehood and put on truth. Simple as that. We're to put off falsehood and we are to put on truth. So notice that in verse 25. First of all, notice how Paul is pointing us back. He says, therefore, pointing us back to verses 22, 23, and 24. Then he uses the same terminology. He says, having put away falsehood, reminding us that we have put off the old man. And notice, he says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Now what you're going to notice is that all of these exhortations are going to follow the same pattern. We're going to see the putting off, we're going to see the renewing of our mind, and we're going to see the putting on. And so notice that in verse 25. First of all, we see that we're to put away falsehood. Now we know what falsehood is. It's lying. It's being dishonest. It's deceiving someone. For whatever the reason, we might deceive someone. Paul says, stop doing that. Amen? Clear enough. Simple enough. Stop lying. Put away all falsehood from among you. But the question is, why? Why why is falsehood? Why is lying? Why is deception such a big deal? Why would Paul use that as an example here in Ephesians chapter 4? we've got to remember who God is. God is truth. Amen? And so to lie, to deceive, is to sin against the character of God. It literally goes against who He is. And remember verse 24, we have been created anew after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let, Let me give you a cheat sheet. Truth is a big deal to God. It always has been and always wills be. God wills be. Always will be. Right? God cares about the truth. Amen? We are people who stand on the truth of God's word. We are people who know that there's only one source for truth and it is the word of God. Amen? We might be the only people in the world that knows what truth is nowadays, by the way. Everyone else is searching for truth, claiming that there is no absolute truth. And we know that they're absolutely wrong because this is absolutely true. Amen? And so God says that He is the truth. And so we stand on the truth. And for that reason, we put away falsehood. But it's not enough to just stop lying. We have to do that which is positive. We have to put on something. And so notice what it says in verse 25. We're to put away falsehood. But we're to put on the truth. Notice he says, put away falsehood and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And so it's not enough that we just stop lying. It's that we start telling the truth. We start speaking the truth. And and I want to give you just a, a little bit of a heads up here. The truth is not just that which is true in the moment. It's not just like don't tell a lie, instead tell a truth. So in other words, the application isn't that when mama catches you with your hand in the cookie jar, you confess that you ate a cookie instead of lying about it. That's a simple, easy application. It is true. But if we're supposed to speak the truth to one another, what is the truth you think we ought to be speaking consistently to one another? Anna's holding up her Bible for the right reason. Amen? We're supposed to speak the truth to one another. This is the truth. Amen? And so it's not enough that I just don't tell a lie. If that was all the application, then we would just say stop lying. Paul would just have simply said stop lying to each other. But he wants them to be more than just honest with one another. He wants them to speak the truth. Speak the Bible to one another. Amen? Speak the truth of who God is. Speak the truth of God's word into each other's lives. Speak the truth to one another. But notice what else he says, because our minds haven't been renewed yet. He says, speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. So notice the pattern. We put off lying and falsehood because it's sin. 
But then we renew our mind. How did our minds get renewed? Well, we remember that God is truth. That's what God's word declares, amen? But then we also remember what Paul told us in verse 25. We are members of the same body. And the truth is that our minds need to be renewed with is that we have been united together as the body of Christ. And so if I'm deceptive to you, then I'm really just deceiving another part of my own body. Amen? That's the truth. That's what Paul's been declaring all throughout the book of Ephesians. We've been unified together as the body of Christ. Amen? So I can't lie to you without it hurting me. I can't be dishonest with you without it deceiving me because we're a part of the same body. And so we're to speak the truth to one another because our neighbors, according to what Paul says in verse 25, our neighbors are now our brothers and sisters in Christ who we go to church with. Now, our neighbors are also those out there that we're supposed to love, amen? But in this context, Paul says your neighbor is your fellow church member. It's those that you go to church with. It's the body of Christ that you've surrounded yourself with. Notice the emphasis on the church as well in all four of these examples. If we're dishonest with one another, it will destroy the unity we have as a church. Amen? How important is unity? Well, remember, when we got to chapter 4 and Paul began to tell us how to live out our salvation, the first thing Paul addressed was unity within the church. It's that important. We will not be the body of Christ that God's called us and saved us to be if we are not unified. And deception within the body will cause disunity quicker than anything else. And so Paul says it's time for us to put off falsehood, renew our minds to the truth of God's word, and put on speaking the truth to one another. Amen? And so Paul exhorts us. He says, put off falsehood and put on truth. And then secondly, Paul says, put off anger and put on forgiveness. Now in verse 26, Paul begins to speak about the dangers of anger. Now, what's interesting is that he addresses it in verses 26 through 27, and then again, he addresses it in verses 31 and 32. Now, some have noticed that verses 26 through 27 tend to speak of righteous indignation. In other words, those times that you are angry for the right reason, while verses 31 through 32 talk about the dangers of anger if it's not dealt with early on like it's mentioned in verses 26 through 27. Well, what we're left with is we're left with this great teaching on the dangers of anger and the progression of anger from not sinful to incredibly sinful and harmful to the body. And so let's look at these two texts together starting in verse 26. Now, The backdrop of verse 26 is actually Psalm 4. That's important for our understanding because in Psalm 4, David is lamenting the fact that he has been falsely accused. All right, so follow the logic here. David has been falsely accused and therefore David is rightfully angry that he's been accused when he's done nothing wrong. That's why it says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. In other words, this is not a command to be angry. Amen? You follow me? Are you all awake? You're with me? I mean, how, how amazing would it be if God's command to us was just be angry? 
Let me miserable. I don't want to be angry all the time. I don't like being angry. Amen? And so it makes no sense for God to just command us, be angry. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying with the backdrop of Psalm 4 is that there are times in life where it is normal, it is okay for you to be angry. But what you want to do is not let that anger turn into sin. Right? So notice what he says. Be angry and do not sin. You see, God knows that there will be times that life will cause us to be angry and there's nothing we can do about it. For example, you're falsely accused like David was. You're cut off in traffic on the way to work. You smash your thumb with a hammer. The person bagging your groceries is rude and does a bad job. Someone eats all the peanut butter checks in the house without telling you. Those are things that are going to cause you to get angry. Wow. Really? Nothing? Peanut butter checks, nothing. I got nothing out of you. I'm telling you, are you asleep? I know it's raining all night last night, but I mean, seriously, we're awake this morning, right? It's more fun to preach when you're actually a part of the sermon. I'm just telling you, wake up, right? I was joking, right? That was a, never mind, we're moving on, all right? But let me just explain. There are times that life is going to make you angry for real. When you're cut off in traffic, it will make you angry, right? If you're a human being, that's going to make you angry, right? If you are building something and you smash your hand with, uh, smash your thumb with a hammer, or like Rick did a couple weeks ago, shoot a staple through your thumb, going to cause you to be angry. Amen, Rick? That's not a praise Jesus for the new hole in my thumb moment, right? Not if you're real. Those things are going to cause you to be angry. And what God is saying here is that anger in and of itself is not a bad thing as long as it's controlled. There are times that you're going to be angry. David, falsely accused, is rightfully angered. Jesus, when he walks into the temple and sees his God's, his father's house being disrespected, is rightfully angered by it. What it says is be angry, but don't let sin take control. So he says to put off anger that leads to sin. Put off that anger that leads to sin and put on dealing with your anger in the right way. Notice what it says in verse 26. This is great. He says, be angry and do not sin. And then he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, here's what he says. Deal with it in a timely manner. Deal with it in a timely manner. So you're cut off in traffic. You get angry. How do you put off the anger that leads to sin and put on dealing with it? You forgive and you get over it. Amen? You forgive. You forgive the person that was driving like that. You forgive the person that cut you off. You don't like it, but you forgive them, and then you get over it, right? What do you do with the person that sinned against you? You forgive them, amen? You forgive them, and you get over it. And if possible, every time it's possible, you reconcile, right? Now, don't follow the person that cut you off in traffic to work and tell them that you forgive them, right? That's not going to go well, right? But if a brother or sister in Christ sins against you and you're wrong and you're rightfully anger, forgive them and then reconcile with them, right? And so, so we, we, we put off the anger that leads to sin and we put on dealing with anger in the right way. 
And so we don't let the sun go down on our anger. Why? Here's the renewing our minds. Because when we do, we give opportunity to the devil. And what does the devil want to do? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? And so what I want you to understand is that if you don't deal with, if I don't deal with our anger in the right way, even when our anger might be justified, the devil will use that to steal, kill, and destroy us. And we've seen it in our own lives. Amen? We've seen God, or the devil, take an opportunity that we gave him because we didn't deal with our anger and let it lead us into sin that we absolutely regret. As a matter of fact, you want to see it? Look in verses 31 through 32 because here we have the progression of anger. So what happens when we don't deal with our sin, even the sin that might be rightfully, I mean the anger that might be rightfully felt, what happens if we don't deal with it the way that we're supposed to deal with it by forgiving and getting over it in a timely manner? Well, notice what happens in verse 31. Notice the progression. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 31 gives us this progression that anger tends to follow in our lives. Bitterness. It's the result of anger that has not been dealt with that defiles a person and eats at a person from within. Hebrews 12.15 tells us that bitterness is going to spring up inside of us and it will defile all of our relationships. So what happens when you get angry and you don't deal with it? That anger turns to bitterness on the inside. It it frustrates you. It eats at you. And if you don't deal with bitterness on the inside, not only will it defile everyone around you, make you miserable to be around, but that bitterness will eventually come out in some way, shape, or form. Notice the progression. It'll turn into wrath. The term here speaks to, uh, it's wrath or rage, and it speaks to an outburst of anger. Now, I know you've probably never had one of those, right? But it's that moment where the anger has boiled over, and you just have an outburst of frustration and anger. It's not prolonged. It's just a, it's an outburst, right? It's throwing something across the room. It's slamming the door. It's raising your voice. Right? It's just that outburst of anger. Well, that outburst of anger, that wrath, as it's translated in verse 31, turns into anger. Now, the term anger in verse 31 is different from the term we saw in verse 25, I mean 26 and 27. This anger is a term that means it, it's an anger that builds up inside and it festers. It's that anger that is simmering on the inside that causes your blood pressure to go up and you are what we call stewing in anger. Your face is red, your blood pressure is high, the veins in your neck and head are visible and you are wanting to explode on someone or something. I know, I know, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, right? But others of us know really well what we're talking about right now, right? And that, that, that anger turns into clamor. Now, clamor is, is that shouting back and forth. That's when we've sort of said, you know what? Let's just go with it. And we've stopped restraining the anger. We've stopped trying to pretend like we're not. And we're just yelling. And we're shouting 
And notice that shout, that clamor, that yelling turns more vicious and it turns into slander. So that now the person we're mad at is getting an earful. And we're letting them know how bad they are, how awful they are, and we have lost control. And we no longer care about the consequences. And that slander turns into what Paul says is all malice. Now that term can be used to summarize all forms of anger, but it also speaks to an anger that has gotten to the point where we now wish something bad has, would happen to the other person. Anytime someone's ever gotten in a fight, it's because they had malice. They wanted something bad to happen to someone else and they tried to cause it by taking a swing. But it's also when you just are hoping that something will happen to pay them back. That's wicked, by the way. Amen? Unfortunately, we know this progression really, really well. Because many of us have gone down this progression. Many of us have fallen to this type of anger. We've seen it in our church. We've seen it in our families. We've seen it in our marriages. We've seen it with our friends. We've seen it in our lives. And let me remind you that the devil wants to do what? Still kill, destroy. And this type of anger does just that. It steals, it kills, and it destroys relationships. As a matter of fact, normally when this type of anger happens, what comes out never gets put back in. Right? We love that illustration, squeezing toothpaste out of the tube. You can't get it back in. The reality is when you start yelling at someone like this, when you let them know what you think and all of your wickedness, you can't get that back. And that relationship is forever distorted. And so what does Paul say? He says, stop letting anger give an opportunity for the devil to steal, kill, and destroy your relationships. Sometimes anger is justified, verses 26 and 27. Sometimes it's not justified. Sometimes you're just angry because you're angry and you need to get over it. But whether it's justified or not justified, if we are not careful, anger will turn into awfulness and it will destroy the body of Christ. Amen? So we put off the anger and we renew our mind by properly understanding what anger does. Anger gives an opportunity to the devil and then we put on forgiveness. Notice it in the text. What does Paul say in verse 32? It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the three things mentioned in verse 32. Kindness. It's treating one another with grace and mercy. It's an attribute of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's that which we need in order to be unified as the body of Christ. Tender-hearted. It also means compassionate. And it speaks to being concerned about the needs of others. And it recognizes the shortcomings of others in light of our own shortcomings. That's huge. Tender-hearted is me not getting angry as I could at someone that sinned against me because I know that they're a sinner just like I am a sinner. Amen? 
It's recognizing that they might be having a bad day because of something else that's going on, and I just happen to be the one that caught it. Right? And so instead of returning wrath with wrath, which leads to all the mess we saw in verse 31, I return kindness and tenderheartedness, ultimately leading to forgiveness. And notice that the forgiveness that's mentioned in verse 32 comes with an explanation that we are to forgive as God has forgiven us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, that's a whole different kind of forgiveness, by the way. That's a forgiveness that's not based upon something someone deserves. That's a forgiveness that is not earned. And that is a forgiveness that gets given and offered before someone has sought the forgiveness to begin with. When did Jesus die on the cross? Before or after all your sin? It was well before our sin. Amen? Jesus paid the price for my sin before I ever breathed. He was willing to forgive me before my sins were all tallied. Now, he had an advantage. He knew them all. Amen? But God forgave me or offered forgiveness through Christ before my sin. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't up to me to come to him and say, please forgive me. He'd already paid the price. Forgiveness was there waiting on me. Right? I didn't deserve it. I hadn't earned it. It was free to me. And that's the kind of forgiveness that we're to have to one another. Amen? Now, that's not easy, which is why this cannot be done apart from Christ. Remember, we're not the ones that put off the old self, and we're not the ones that put on the new self. God does that on our behalf. Amen? And so what we see here is that anger is unbelievably dangerous. So what's the pattern? The pattern is that we put off anger that leads to sin, by forgiving others in a timely manner. We renew our minds by understanding that if we don't put anger off, it gives an opportunity to the devil. And we renew our minds by remembering that we have been forgiven much, therefore we can forgive much. Amen? And then we put on the new self by forgiving others, being kind and tender-hearted, and forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us. And so we put off falsehood and put on truth. We put off anger and put on forgiveness. And then thirdly, we put off stealing and we put on giving. Now in verse 28, we see the third example or exhortation the Ephesians were to give up. And it's, it's stealing. It's, it's being a thief. And it's interesting to me because we don't normally think of, of stealing as, as something that we normally would struggle with on a day-to-day basis. At least not within the church context, Right? But like, like normally we don't think of the church as a bunch of thieves. Now I know that the lost and dying world thinks the church is a bunch of crooks. I get that. Crooks and hypocrites. I get it. But like with, with, within one of, within our own church family, we're not like holding on tight to our wallets as we walk by one another, right? I'm not like holding my watch and sneaking by hoping that someone doesn't swipe my watch or my wallet. My wallet ain't even in my pocket. It's upstairs because I'm not worried about it right now, right? We don't, we don't think about those things. But in the context here, it's interesting because Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus during a time where day laborers was a common practice and it was a common way to make a living. Well, the problem with being a day laborer is that you didn't have a steady income or a steady job. You were reliant upon seasonal work. 
There was no welfare system. There was nobody to help so that when the seasonal work dried up and when it wasn't working season, these laborers would go without an income for a long period of time. And that led them to steal in order to meet their needs. And so what Paul is addressing here is the one who used to steal in order to meet their needs. And so what does Paul say? Notice what he says in verse 28. We're going back up to verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal. Stop stealing. It's dishonest. It's wrong. Stop doing it, Paul says. Now, we also know that stealing doesn't just mean swiping something or taking something that isn't yours. It could also be an employer not paying their employee what they're worth, right? It could be taking advantage of someone. Anytime we try to gain selfishly or dishonestly, it it falls under that umbrella of stealing, right? Paul says, stop stealing. Stop taking advantage of others to gain for yourself. And instead of stealing... Paul says, put off stealing and put on hard work. Now, notice the transformation here. Because he doesn't just say put on hard work so that you'll meet your own needs. But he says, put on hard work, work with your own hands and honest day's labor so that you can get not only what you need, but you can get enough to give to someone else who's in need. Now, notice the drastic transformation here in thought. The person who doesn't have enough and is tempted to steal and used to steal to make ends meet is supposed to have their transformed mind radically rethink the process. And instead of stealing, they're supposed to instead get a job and work hard. Not so they can meet their own needs only, but so that they will have enough to meet their needs and the needs of someone else. Why? Because they know how big of a struggle that is. That's pretty impressive. Also, don't forget that this is happening within the context of the church body. In other words, Paul is emphasizing the fact that we are to be meeting one another's needs. The reality is, we all go through seasons in life where we have needs. They might not always be financial needs. But we go through seasons in life where we need more than we have. And God has put us within the church body so that those needs can be met within the church body. Amen? Because when, when, when I hurt a part of my body, the rest of my body does what it can to take care of it. Right? So that if my, if my hand is hurt, I not only cradle and take care and hold my hand, but I do everything within my power to use the rest of my body to do what this hand sometimes does. I use my uncoordinated weak left hand to pick up the tea pitcher or the gallon of milk, right? I I do whatever needs to be done to protect the part that's hurt, to meet the needs of the part that has needs. And that's what we're supposed to do as a church body. We're to take care of one another, which is why Paul says to the thief, stop stealing, get a job, work hard so that you can not meet your needs, but so that you can meet the needs of other people who went through exactly what you went through. That's awesome. So he says, stop stealing and put on giving. And then finally, we see that we're to put off corrupt speech and we're to put on edifying speech. Notice in verse 29. Paul tells us to put off all corrupt speech. He says in verse 29, 
He says, put off your, uh, uh, sorry, I'm jumping, I can't find my, I need a new light up here. Here we go. 29, there it is. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. He says, that talk that tears down the body is to be completely removed from you. But only that which builds up the body. So what is talk? What is corrupt speech that tears down? Well, this would be anything that harms another person or harms the body. This would include hateful speech, unloving speech, and yes, even sarcastic speech. God threw that in there for me. Anything that tears down instead of builds up is a problem. And we've got to be careful. Instead, we're to put on speech that is good. But notice the qualifiers. Notice what it's supposed to be good for in verse 29. First of all, it says good for building up. This is speech that adds something to the other person. It can be thought of as speech that encourages and disciples them towards godliness. Our speech has an aim. It has a focus. We want our speech to build each other up towards God. Amen? Notice it says that it needs to be fit for the occasion. In other words, it needs to be appropriate for what's going on. So sympathy in times of loss, praise in times of joys, things that are appropriate, right? So the speech needs to build up. It needs to be uh, fit for the occasion, and it needs to give grace to the hearers. The aim of our speech is that we would be used by God to provide grace to those that we're talking with. Well, man, this just completely refocuses our speech altogether, amen? My speech isn't just a form of communication. It isn't just so that I can express needs, wants, and desires. God wants to use my speech to provide grace to you. God wants to use your speech to provide grace and to build up me. Amen? So that our speech is not that which tears down, but instead that which builds up. Again, notice the emphasis on the body. You know who we tend to talk most hateful to? Those that we're closest with. Think about it. It's a sad reality, but think about it. You tend not to speak ugly to your boss, your coworkers. You put on a good show for them. Instead, we come home and speak ugly to our families. Right? I was talking to a guy just this past week who was struggling at work. And he, said, I, he says, I, I know that it's become a big problem because I'm starting to be short with my kids. Right? You don't, we don't act that way in public most of the time. We act that way at home, those that we're closest with. Same thing happens in the church. Oftentimes when we get close to one another, when we grow close together as a unified body, we sometimes will start using our speech in a negative way instead of a positive way. And we want God to use our speech to give grace to one another, not tear each other down. Amen? And so notice what Paul says. Notice the pattern. Put off corrupt speech. Put on speech that edifies and builds up. But notice the process that renews our mind in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What Paul explains in verse 30 is that when you tear each other down with your words, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. So stop 
doing it. Amen? Now here's something else interesting about verse 30. The language of verse 30 is reminiscent of Isaiah 63, where God's mercy on Israel after the exodus is recalled. Remember the exodus. God's people were trapped in Egypt. They had been slaves for over 400 years when God heard the cry of his people and he sent Moses to be the agent that he would use to set his people free. And through a miraculous series of events, God saved Israel from slavery in Egypt. It's a picture of the salvation that would come in and through Christ. And they make their way out of Egypt being led by Moses into their salvation, headed for the security of the promised land. And the the nation of Israel gets all the way outside of Egypt. They make it to the wilderness. And then, after having experienced God's salvation, they then begin to complain, grumble, and rebel against God. And in Isaiah 63, it says that they grieved the Holy Spirit of God. And the warning in this text is that we would not do the same. Notice the correlation. Just like Israel, who had been set free from slavery in Egypt, we have been set free from slavery to sin through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? God has set us free. He has delivered us from slavery, and He is leading us to the promised land that is to come. Amen? We have security because we are His. Amen? And we have been called to live like it. To live out our newness of life in Christ. And so those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, our old self has been taken away, our minds are being renewed, the new man has been put on, and we're to live like it. And if we don't, then we do exactly what Israel did. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so Paul says, don't do that. That's as theological as we need to be, right? Don't grieve the Spirit. God has set you free. He's delivered you from your sins. Don't grieve the Spirit. Instead, walk worthy of your salvation. Now, what happens if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Well, then what I want you to know is that this truth that we see in this passage can be true for you as well. Because God not only loved me, God not only provided for the nation of Israel, but God has made a provision for you. You are just like me and just like everyone else. You are a sinner. You have fallen short of God's glory. And because of that, we all deserve death and judgment. But God made a provision for our sin through his son, Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty of death that we owed. So that through his death and through his resurrection, we could have grace. We could have mercy. We could have forgiveness. Again, notice verse 32. We can forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. God has forgiven us in and through the the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I want you to know that today can be the day that God takes the old self and he puts it off. And God puts on the new self created after the likeness of God. And God begins the process of renewing your mind this morning. 
So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you, if you feel God speaking to you, that's God calling unto you. And God wants you to respond by saying yes to him. Believers, let me encourage you. If, if there's something in this list that you need to put off that God has identified in your life, let me encourage you to put it off. How do you do that? Well, you start by putting off the sin. You read God's word so that you can renew your mind and understand the truth of God's word concerning that sin. And then it's not enough to just stop doing the bad thing. You start doing the right thing. You put on the new life in Christ. But like many, maybe the sin you're struggling with isn't one of these four that we've listed. Maybe it's something else that God, through the Spirit, has been convicting you about. Let me encourage you, put that off as well. Don't sit back and go, dodged a bullet this morning. No, you know the sin you're struggling with. God's already identified it through the Holy Spirit. He's pointing it out to you, and God is calling you to put it off. So let me encourage you to put that off. Renew your mind. Understand why it is wrong, why it is so sinful, why you need to stop. Renew your mind through the word. And then figure out what it is that God wants you to put on in its place. Listen, if that's what's going on in your life, I'd love to talk with you more about that. This altar is open. You can pray where you're at. But whatever God's leading you to do, let me encourage all of us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? Maybe God's identified something and you're not quite sure why it's wrong, but you feel like it's wrong and you want to talk more about it. Listen, let me encourage you. Talk to someone about it. That's why we're here as the body. Amen? However and wherever the Lord's leading, let's follow him now in faith and obedience. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We're so thankful for your word this morning. We're so thankful for the truth that we find only in your word. And Lord, we pray that you would now work in our hearts and our lives, that you would identify those things in our lives that we need to put off. Lord, lead us to the right passages that we might renew our mind through the truth of your word. And then, Lord, give us wisdom as to what we ought to put on in its place. Lord, if it's one of these four things that we've identified that you have exemplified for us in this text, Lord, help us to follow through by putting off that which is old and putting on that which is new. And Lord, help us to follow you in faith and obedience. And Lord, if there's anybody here who does not yet know you as Savior and Lord, then I pray that you would speak into their hearts, that you would speak to them, that you would call out to them, and that today might be the day that they put their faith and their trust in you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We surrender ourselves to you now during this time of invitation. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.